defenses. Initiate bank protocol. What is good, homies? Welcome to the new and improved Bird Protocol. I am one of your hosts, Palm Reader. I'm here with my co-host, Otis Morris. And uh, this is something new. This is the first of our topical episodes. And today we are going to be talking about sequels, prequels, and reboots in film, as well as uh, some possible conversation about television video games, and uh, other forms of media. From the groundbreaking franchises that continue to captivate us with their imaginative sequels, to the daring prequels that unravel the untold origins of our favorite characters, and the exciting reboots that breathe new life into classic tales, we're going to talk about it all. Even the hot garbage. Uh, You know, there's a really intricate dance between honoring the past and uh, charting exciting new territories in film, In this episode, we'll be asking what makes a successful prequel, sequel, or reboot? Is it uh, it about capturing the essence of the original while forging its own path? Or do fan expectations play a vital role? What about uh, the ever-looming influence of film studios, financing, nostalgia, and all the other various pratfalls that uh, filmmakers face? Um, and, And how can reboots manage to reimagine familiar stories, introducing new fresh perspectives to captivate both longtime fans and newcomers to, to a franchise. Through this episode, we're going to dissect some iconic films and franchises, both good and bad, and discuss their impact on the cinematic landscape, and of course, share our opinions on the topic. But first and foremost, Otis, how are you doing? You ready to talk about sequels, prequels, and reboots today? Dude, that was sick. That was tight. I love Thanks. these intros. Yeah, we're adding intros okay, we're now, gonna... guys. <laughs> yeah. Hell we're, yeah, dude. That was real tight. That was... <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. We did it, dude. We did it. We did it. Uh, yeah. How are, you, how are you doing, though? Are you are you feeling good? How, uh, are, you, how, how are you feeling about oh, sequels, I'm... prequels, and reboots? Oh, I'm I'm feeling good. I have a brand new reboot in my own life of my crazy neighbor. She's uh, completely rebooted in new form. Today I was sitting on my balcony reading a book and she listened to uh, that one fucking Gordon Lightfoot song for an hour straight. It was insane. Oh, she's I thought going, I was like, she's going through it. She's going yeah, through dude, it. She, yeah. Yeah, dude. Listening. Oh, what the fuck? If you, if you could read my mind or what is that the song? But anyway, she listened to that for like an hour straight. And I thought I was going insane because I was like, I've read like, so many pages like there's no way that like i'm all of a sudden just destroying books now in three minutes that's not possible no she was like listening to that song for an hour i was just like that's crazy i don't know if she left it on repeat or she's actually just yeah going through it but i think she's going through it really really bad um yeah well <laughs> hopefully this is a good reboot i don't know uh, she seems, I don't know, man. She seems like she's losing grip on reality. Um, oh, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, <laughs> let's start off with a basic question here. Um, and folks listening at home, okay. this is our first time doing a topic episode, so we're kind of like figuring out some stuff as we go. Um, but we got plenty of different angles to come at this uh, this topic, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's lots to talk about there. So we might get all of it. Mm-hmm. We might still have to come back to it somewhere down the line and do a part two 
I don't know. We're just going to, this is kind of like, a, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're giving her a go. We're giving her the college try for the first time. Mm-hmm. So um, let's start it off with a question. What, in your opinion, is an example of a great sequel, prequel, or reboot? And why do you feel that way? Uh, well, I think this is going to be the most generic answer ever. But it's got to be The Godfather 2. Because, one, it works as a prequel and a sequel at the same time, and it fills out so much of the story, given that The Godfather is a saga about a family. It manages to, you know, go back, show you Don Vito's life, and then, you know, also go ahead uh, with Michael's life and show him, like, moving forward. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's just the greatest, just the greatest, I don't know. No, that's, and I think, that's the, I, I, I think that's the most generic answer be, because it does so well at two things at once. Well, I mean, it's like asking, you know, who, who's who's the greatest of all time basketball player? Like the most generic answer is Michael Jordan, but that's because he did yeah. run the court. Yeah, yeah. You know, he put yeah. the numbers up. He was the guy. So, you know, I, I, I actually have a question later on about The Godfather 2. Uh, okay. And it's it being both a prequel and sequel and the kind of parallels um, that are created by having this kind of temporal difference. Um, and of course, this film was made in a time where kind of franchise and IP didn't really exist in the way that it does now, which is something that has completely changed um, uh, the kind of landscape of sequels uh, and and led to a lot of uh, franchise fatigue and sequel fatigue. Um, I think an example of a great sequel um, uh, uh, would obviously be something like Alien and Aliens uh, because of how, mm-hmm. and which we've talked about on this podcast before, how uh, Aliens takes certain aspects of Alien, the kind of crux and core of it, but retells it in a new and exciting way, um, mm-hmm. both in the character of Ripley and then also in the kind of expansion of the lore of the Xenomorph and uh, and and exploring characters in similar settings, but slightly different. But also the the kind of situation is different, you know, by adding the colonial mm-hmm. marines and all that stuff in the queen. It just kind of heightens the stakes in the and builds out the world in the right way. Um, mm-hmm. And another special shout out for reboots that I wanted to talk about that we I actually just talked about on the Lazy Bird briefly, but I've been getting deeper and deeper into the like madness of why I love this. Um, the Planet of the Apes reboot, uh, which is yeah. so successful because it takes the idea of the Planet of the Apes and it shows you how it happens, but it focuses mm-hmm. on Caesar, the 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 first sentient, uh, not sentient, but like uh, hyper intelligent ape, and he becomes the anchor of the franchise, and the humans are the ones that come and go, and and mm. you know it 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 kind of challenged the whole idea of what the franchise was by taking it away from the humans and placing the reins of what's important as far as storytelling in the hands of, of Caesar and his apes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I love that. That's like, it's like amazing. So how do you define a successful reboot sequel or prequel? Is it just financial success? Is it critical acclaim are they equally important or is it, um, uh, is it what they do with the story and their, their, uh, either willingness to chart these new, like improve upon the world and story that mm-hmm. was created or, or kind of pay 
homage to what's already happened. Like, what do you, how do you say something is a successful sequel, prequel, or reboot? I think it needs to take what was good about the first one and like, and just build upon it or like tap into something new and interesting about whether it be a character or the world or something relative to the story, like something like, like, uh, like, cause I was thinking randomly about like Wolverine and how, so like Wolverine's an established character through the X-Men series, right? So there was three X-Men movies before they decided to make X-Men Origins Wolverine, which sucked. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the studio, Fox, I real realized what they had done wrong. And I think, you know, they actually figured out why do people like Logan so much as a character? It's because... He's a fucking crazy maniac, but he's also a very sympathetic character who's also a very vulnerable person at times. And I think that's what they then got so correct with the Wolverine is showing that, showing him in times of weakness, showing him completely outmatched. And then, you know, and then even doubling down on that with like, Logan, mm -hmm. which you know adapted the old man Logan thing, and then showing him at its like his most vulnerable. So you know it's kind of so with that that series did really well with figuring out why people connected with that character and what they wanted to see from that character, and it was just Logan essentially going up against you know whether it be his own mortality which you know he has a sort of weird thing with mortality given that he's kind of half immortals this kind of thing like he just lives longer uh it's fucking insane because isn't he like a hundred or some shit like yeah he's insane. old he's old as and a fun fact about those movies is that the x-men origins was supposed to be followed by x-men origins magneto but they parsed like they took part portions of that and and re retrofitted it into mm -hmm. first class, so that's why you mm -hmm. have that storyline in first class based around Fassbender's Magneto going and killing Nazis. Um, okay, yeah. And so because of the failure of 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 the Origins Wolverine film, they went in a different mm -hmm. direction, which ultimately led to Days of Future Past, which is um, so we should. I mean. Brian Singer aside, ew. Um, we should talk yeah, about yeah. We should talk about the fact that that movie also, very similar to The Godfather Two, does something with being a prequel and a sequel at the same time. Yeah. Um. And mm -hmm. and it works really well, especially bringing back the characters from the original trilogy, with Logan kind of being the anchor between the two, uh, which was mm -hmm. really cool, really smart writing. I think that yeah. a, a successful uh reboot sequel or prequel um i don't think i i mean finances when you talk about movies are it's such a kind of uh uh a, it's it's a hole you can fall like it's a it's a, a, a kind of problematic thing you can fall into because there are plenty of movies that mm -hmm. weren't financially successful that went on later to be cult classics and 
yeah. hugely influential in society and culture. So like, mm-hmm. I think a financial success is great for the studio and something that's critically acclaimed is great for the studio, but those things mm-hmm. don't always translate to audience enjoyment or to the success of a sequel. Prime example, mm-hmm. Fast and Furious. Um, marked decline in film quality and story and everything from probably, you know, five, six, seven onwards. Um, it just, you know, it become more, it becomes more absurdist, becomes more of just like a kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, crazy romp through streets of different cities with gadgets. It's like a Bond film now. But like on on yeah. on like speed, it's insane. Um, yeah, it ve- has very little to do with like cars itself. Whereas number one was purely about street racing and like you know crime involved with street racing, very you know kind of low stakes stuff. Too fast, too furious, same thing. You just switch out Vin Diesel for Tyrese, and then. Tokyo Drift, which is generally perceived as the worst and dumbest of them, because Actually, it is somehow a- set in 2005, but then it's somehow supposed to be retrofitted to actually be the future. So that yeah, doesn't that make was sense. that was kind of dumb. But actually, there's a whole there's a whole crew. Of but that was that, a huge misstep well, like, for them. A- and then four didn't come out for like years later and then the franchise is completely different four onwards it's yeah. a completely different well thing. and there's actually a large I, I was trying to say there's a large subset of people who believe that three is actually one of the better films because it is so car centric um yeah yeah that, it's a car movie for yeah, sure yeah and, the, and that it it is and i actually don't mind three i don't mind tokyo drift I it's know fine maybe, yeah it's I'm, i i hate lucas black though guy can't <laughs> act in it's fucking save his life. Dude yeah, sucks. but I mean, sorry. Every I, I also have a bit of a, it's a little bit egregious him being there, but everything else about it is like kind of like what it. Sh- I I the way I thought the franchise was gonna go is just different, kind of loosely connected, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of stories about cars and crime at that point, and then all of a sudden yeah. they did the flip and they made Fast and Furious, which is the fourth film. And then Fast Five, which is a, an excellent action film. Like Fast Five, I I I will stand on that hill and die on that hill. It is a fun ass movie, and it was where they really. Which hit one's their, the Brazil one? That's Fast Five. I always yeah. Pre- okay. Yes, yeah. Fast Five's very sick. Uh, and then afterwards, it kind of slowly the precipitous fall begins to happen. Six becomes a little bit kind of even more absurd, and then and then seven you have. Uh, with the passing of Paul Walker and everything that they had to do, which was actually pretty good considering all the challenges that they faced making that movie. But after that, it was just mm-hmm. like, and from what I hear, 10 is, is literally like, if you want to go watch um, what you, the, the kind of distill the, the, uh, the essence of what fast and furious has become and then like pump it full of like cocaine and let, let it go wild. That that's the, that's the yeah. movie that is and it's not yeah it's just a grand theft auto mod come to life in a movie Um, form pretty much and so so but those all the sequels were financially successful i mean less and Mm -hmm. less so but enough that the the franchises kept going and they feel like they can they can kind of continue to um just kind of distill down the the vin diesel family of it all and keep going with it um and so i don't know what makes something 
successful, but I could say that there's something, but, but uh, you can tell how a, a reboot sequel or prequel is good. You know, like you can watch mm-hmm. something and be like, this is a good addition to the story. Or you can watch something and go, yeah. this is not a good addition. Now, whether it's successful financially or competently made or even critically acclaimed is, is you know, that's kind of at the mercy of the fans, too, to a certain degree, fan yeah. expectation. So, you know, the que- another question I have here is, can reboots, sequels, or prequels live up to or surpass the success of the original film? Uh, do we have oh, any absolutely. examples... Uh, that have succeeded or failed in this aspect. But we just talked about Fast and Furious, but we also mentioned Godfather 2, Alien to Aliens. Yeah. Um, you know, there Terminator, are... Terminator 2. Exactly, T2. huge step up. Uh, uh, Dark Knight, compared to Batman Begins, is like a whole fucking different movie. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that that's, that's, a, a, that's a perfect example where you take something that... It where the Dark Knight or Batman Begins is good, but the Dark Knight is yeah. like a beast of a whole different, like you know, mm-hmm. uh, of a whole different genus. It's like mm-hmm. this heat with the Joker, like it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's its own, yeah. and, and that's admittedly so from Christopher Nolan. I'm not just saying that, but yeah, I mean we've talked about that ad nauseum so many yeah. times. So like. like another one that I was thinking of when, when, when this, when I kind of came up with this question was um, Mad Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm. I think that Mad Max Fury Road is like technically and objectively better than all of the previous films. Yeah. I mean, well, (laughs) well, arguably, you know, the road warriors also better than the first Mad Max too. Like the road warrior is a, great sequel which i recently found out internationally it's actually just called mad max 2 i don't know why it's called the road warrior in north america but mad max 2 better than mad max 1 and then i don't know but then that's also just a weird franchise like even because then like mad max beyond thunderdome just goes like completely wacko mode it's like what this is and then you know but then Beyond Thunderdome lends way to what then you see in Fury Road, which is just absolute madness. It's like, because the first two are kind of grounded in like reality, but then it's like, what the fuck happened? Now there's like, I don't know, anarchist, punk, rock, jungle, Cirque du Soleil people. I don't know what's going on, but I love it. It's great. Uh, Like that's a franchise that just completely reinvents itself every single time um and i would say but that's a good example of of you know it's it's surpassing what it was um Mm -hmm. now there were probably some people who love the original mad max films who are going to be like oh it's a great film reader you you know like those cutters are great yeah i'm not we're not we're not saying they're bad we're just saying that fury road injected the entire franchise and reinvented it to a whole new level you know like that movie was like in the at the Oscars, you know, <laughs> and that and it was a good addition and it was a good um, reinvention where it worked and it it did something new, but also paid paid you know homage to the roots of the of the franchise, and so you know, I think it's very easy to live up to or surpass the success of the original film. I hate to beat a dead dead mm-hmm. horse or bang a bang the same drum, but. Another example, Alien and Aliens, two different films, very different genre wise. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like yep. they are, are one's a, a, a kind of taut space horror. And the, the yep. other one is kind of like a space action thriller. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and they, they work totally differently, but somehow big Jim and, and Ridley both just hit it right on the head. And it's hard to say which one of yeah. those two movies are better. They are almost equal for different yeah. reasons. So, you know, it is mm -hmm. very possible to live up to or surpass the success of the original film. But when you make a bad sequel or multiple bad sequel, what does it do to the legacy of the original film? You know, how, how, mm -hmm. how, how much can you string something out and continue to kind of uh, uh, make bad decisions and bad sequels or prequels yeah. without damaging, damaging the legacy of the original films? My example of this would be Star Wars. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great example. My my example would be every horror franchise ever. Uh, like, yeah, Friday there's the so 13th, many. Friday the 13th went um, that, yeah. And yeah, part one and two are great. And then by the time you get the Jason Takes Manhattan, it's like, this movie isn't even in Manhattan. It's on a fucking boat. What are you doing? This is, you're lying to me. And then there's like, like Halloween one and two are great. And then Halloween three season of the witch is, has nothing to do with it, but it's actually a great movie on its own. And then, you know, there's the bunch of weird sequels and stuff, or uh, there's so many like there's puppet master leprechaun. There's all these horror franchises that had a good first two movies and then just d devolved into shit. But that's the but that's also because that specific uh genre has such a devoted fan base like yeah whereas like well no, I don't know. I mean, and those I, movies can be made for cheap that's the thing about horror movies is they can be made for cheap they're actually fun to make they're not that hard they're pretty easy you know the script doesn't need to be a masterpiece and that has a fan base out there so that's why like stuff like that but then yeah then there's like stuff that has such horrible missteps like time and time again like predator like what the fuck like a lot of the recent ones and we talked about this in the prey episode of how so many of the recent sequels were bad that you know prey finally got it right by just doing something different and it, working. but it was different but it was the same this is the thing that we were talking yeah. about earlier where it's like you take the the kind of essence of what this franchise is about and you mm -hmm. you take it you pay homage to the other films but you build upon it in a new way and it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. complex it just has to serve the story and the characters and the idea the reason why the bunch mm -hmm. of those movies didn't work i mean shane black why did you think predators stealing autism was a good idea it wasn't it was no, never no. a good idea why did you write that yeah. All you, all you needed to do was a predator on a pirate ship and people would have been like, yeah, you know, people don't want to yeah. see want Don't people don't need the depth of lore that the predators are coming in, stealing genetic and neurological mm -hmm. disorders from autistic kids to become super weapons. Like it's just stupid. It's yeah. stupid. Who's who read this and was like, Shane, you've done it. And it's this thing where it's like, you have to strike the right balance of, forging ahead with something new while still 
playing in the same zone. I think that's why a film franchise like John Wick has done so well, because it's like every episode yeah. still adheres to the same rules that were set mm-hmm. out at the start of the franchise. We just see more of the world. We are introduced to new characters. There's new things that are going on, but at the crux of it, we want to see John Wick whoop ass. And, yeah. and we want to see him within the world of the high table and the assassins and see mm-hmm. new parts of it. And guess what? Every time yeah. it works. Cause they just, they make some, of course they're raising the stakes and there's big, bigger fights, action sequences and, and whole like sets and everything. But overall, you know, the, the, that was what the film was about from the start. It's just grown outwards, bigger and bigger, but it's still solely mm-hmm. focused on him and within the rules and lore of the world that they've created. And so like it yeah. works, you know, but then you have franchises like a lot of the modern franchises that they've just been going crazy for, like, mm-hmm. and, and dragging them out because they're building it too far away from what it was originally or trying yeah. to incorporate too many new ideas and do too many new things. It's like, you look at a franchise like Jurassic Park. First movie is nearly yeah. untouchable. Second movie, it's yeah. Lost World. It's all right. It's, it's fun. Good. It's Steven Spielberg. It's fun. It's, like, it's a good movie. It's, yeah, one of the lesser Steven Spielberg films, but cool. Third one, okay, forgettable. We're, step, we're Who, stepping. I don't out remember. Of the world. It. Yeah, there's a there's a raptor that's in a plane talking to Alan Grant. He goes Alan, and he wakes up like it's weird. And then <laughs> and then they go back and do Jurassic World, which is kind of like a soft reboot that's paying homage to the first yeah. one. And I felt that that one was pretty strong. But then afterwards, it's like, what idea? Why are you guys doing the same thing? What is happening? And then everybody, everything goes off the rails when it's like, hmm. we should be paying more attention to what the kind of centered idea of the first film was and really work it in a way that makes sense. Like they sh- like, mm-hmm. I hope that whatever they do next and someone will probably has already probably done this, but a, a kind of, I, I would watch a prequel series on HBO that was about the building of the park that explores the kind That'd of moral sick. conundrums and the, the, uh, uh, dangers and the kind of, um, the excitement, but also the terror of bringing these animals back to life, you know? Yeah, you can then, yeah, you can also see like the dirty politics behind it and stuff. You know, there could be some dirty money involved, you know. Exactly. This could be a scientist having moral debates with themselves and others. Like it would just, it would basically be Chernobyl with dinosaurs, which is sick. And that's, and that's what I, and I'm like, why isn't any, because that's the crux of what the original film was about. It was about the wonder and the fear at nature and genetics. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. And, and that we could, you, you could have done all sorts of things, but instead we had kind of the Jurassic world and then we had Jurassic world fallen kingdom, which was like, Hey, the first movie, but, um, uh, a little bit different. Also, there's a clone girl for some reason. Um, Mm -hmm. okay. And then now we're going to go to the third one, which is now the dinosaurs are on the mainland, but we're just not going to show that for most of the movie. We're going to go to this other place where there's another park. And then the movie's going to end the same way the past three have where three random dinosaurs fight each other. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. come on, man. Like, do something. Poking it with a stick going, come on, do something. And that's how you lose it. It's same with Fast and the Furious. Even the Alien franchise. It's like, mm-hmm. I liked Prometheus and Alien Covenant is fine. But 
it's this, and I think part of it is pushing up with studios. So I wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. How, what do you, what role do you think the kind of corporate studio financial world plays in, in kind of ruining these sequels and giving people creative freedom? I mean, look what happened after The Last Jedi. Look what happened after various other films. Do you think that this is something that's stifling the kind of proper creation of sequels and prequels and reboots? Um, that that could lead to, you know, good films. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you see it, well, you absolutely see it with these major IPs and franchises like Star Wars, the Marvel, DC, Jurassic Park. Because make no mistake about it, these movies are meant to sell toys to children. That's what they're for. They're commercials. These toys at this point in time are commercials. Whereas something like John Wick is for adults. It's not trying to sell you toys. It's trying to sell you a three-hour magnum opus fight scene. That's what it's trying to sell you. It's selling you the product that you're going to see. That's it. There's no ulterior motive to it. And most of these movies, like, that's the, like, they'll put in so much money into these movies. And you might think, you may think that, like, some of these movies are bombs. People don't give a shit about them. But then when you actually add in, you know, oh, you know, people aren't watching the new Jurassic Park. But it's like, oh, yeah, but do you know how many fucking Lego sets they've sold? Do you know how yeah. many fucking hand puppets they've sold? How many? <clears throat> yeah, that's the thing. There, There's different. It, there's so many different and, markets and- involved now in film. <laughs> like, in the 80s and stuff, it was, it, it was there. It wasn't so much. But I think... <laughs> Specifically, it was George Lucas and Star Wars. It was when George Lucas decided Fox can have Star Wars, but I'm going to retain all of the merchandising and all that stuff. And he became a fucking billionaire off of that, selling fucking Star Wars toys to nerds. And it took 25 years for the industry to realize that or 20 years or something, they, they finally clued in in the, the 90s, really, with morning TV shows like Ninja Turtles and all that, Transformers. It was all tie-ins to sell toys. And really, that's what most major franchises are at this point with the except, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe even fucking, think of even Fast and Furious. That's just a giant ad for cars. That's all it is. Fucking Mercedes-Benz probably pays millions of dollars to be like, yeah, you have to have at least 30 seconds of our logo clearly visible in multiple scenes or some bullshit. I'm sure that deal exists. Yeah. And I mean... I don't know, but that that's the thing. The studios, that, that's what they're... Yeah, there's definitely a tendency to prioritize profit over creative integrity. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. I think that that's definitely the case. And, you know, there are many unnecessary sequels or forced sequels for the sake of cashing in on a successful franchise, a prime example yeah, like, of this, not even in film would be true detective season two. You know, Nick, Nick, does that's, a lot absolutely. Of, yeah. Absolutely. He spent, he spent years. He wrote a novel first and then turned yeah. it into a TV show. He built it. That out first season. What is life's work? Yeah. That was his life's work. And, and then HBO was like, can you do that in a year and a half? Do it again. And the, 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 yeah. The rational response would have been, no, I need time, time, <laughs> Give me which least- he proved. Three with season years. three, yeah. give him a couple years at least. But True Detective, the first season, he probably spent 10 years on that and like so much of his life, which is why it's a fucking the perfect TV show. 
It's and, amazing. And you know what is also happening, and this ties into the kind of whole nostalgia of it. <clears throat> I mean, of course, a lot of these franchises that started years ago, <clears throat> they're they become icon like iconography, you know, the Terminator, yeah. the Xenomorph, mm-hmm. all of these characters that have become kind of like cultural iconography and Hollywood iconography. But then what's happening now is our our sense of like because of social media and because of the way things are, that our sense of time seems to be warped where people are nostalgic for something that was made only a few years before and they want it again and they want it on demand. And so you have this kind of like this weird situation now where, where there is studios are easily relying too heavily on sequels, prequels and reboots because they're a safe bet for a guaranteed box office. Even if the movie isn't, uh, you know, up isn't, necessarily what what i would consider a good sequel it's it seems forced or it seems unnecessary just to kind of like keep that thing turning in hopes that maybe they're going to hit something that's really good and sometimes they do sometimes you have a prequel or you have a film where it will bounce back like we were talking about x-men first class that's a prime example yeah where where X where Origins Wolverine was so garbage that people were like, is this the end for X Men? But luckily, they had someone come along who actually wanted to, to mm-hmm. make something that was uh, 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 good and 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 was paid attention to the X Men lore and the comic books and everything. And mm-hmm. so they made it, and they and they put got good actors and good direct, you know. It yeah. was, it was something where they were like, we're going to do this right. And nobody thought that film was going to be good. And then everybody watched it and was like, mm-hmm. damn, this rules. So, you know, there are instances where it, it something can bounce back, but that's oftentimes yeah. when a studio thinks that there's no juice left in the, in the franchise. Look at prey. They just put it, they put yeah. it out to Hulu. They didn't even put it in theaters. And that movie is one yeah. of my favorite movies of last year. It absolutely fucking rips. So like, yeah. what are you studios doing? Why are you basing it on this one, the feedback loop of like nostalgia and Twitter and all that, the fan kind of expectations. Let someone cook, bring someone in who's good and let them cook. I think that's one of the problems that's happening with Marvel now. I think it's because studios are leaning too much on this idea of sequels and building universes and doing all this stuff. If you're going to do that, Give the creative people enough time to make something that's valuable. That let them cook, mm-hmm. let them do it right. Yeah, because I would rather wait two years for another Marvel movie than have another mm-hmm. like trash film. I think that's why Guardians of the Galaxy worked so well because they let James Gunn cook. They were like, let the man do. Well, what yeah, he they let James Bond be Jane. James Bond. <laughs> James Gunn. They let James Gunn be James Gunn. Sorry, I'm also. I also have a point about like James Bond that's related to this because the Bond series is so great where the Bond films have a very specific like you when you watch a Bond film you know exactly what the fuck you're going to see and it very but it but the thing that's great about the franchise is that it always allows the directors to like do what they like what they want with it and then you, that's why you get like strange things like Skyfall where Sam Mendes is like, I want to do something on like meditating on a guy who knows he has one foot out the door and is sort of not really prepared for this line of work anymore, which is a completely new take on it. Or like, 
I, I like, still argue that that movie should have been nominated for best film that year. That movie is great. Skyfall is one of that's yeah. that's an interesting one we can talk about within a franchise. Skyfall, and, and that's a twentieth film. That's the twentieth yeah. film in like a James Bond franchise, and it's like it's one of the best. But that's just also a crazy franchise because it it everyone knows the like how the franchise works. They're like, okay, yeah, James Bond is this character that's constantly just there. And each time it becomes a different actor, it then just builds out this new world again. And you get to see the arc just constantly play out. And it's just can complete all can just constantly reboot and reboot and reboot. And so it just allows for experimentation because it's so deep. Yeah. And I think, I think it's also, it's caked into it. Like that's one of the things that works is that, 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 that Mm -hmm. kind of, we're going to reboot it every once in a while. There's going to be different. We might even retell some stories. Uh, with yeah. different filmmakers, we just bring people in and let them let them do their thing, and yeah, that's, let them cook. Yeah, and that's and then and that's caked into the kind of DNA of that film, which is why mm-hmm. it works so well. Um, because yeah. they're it, the the presumption is that you know you might see something new or different every time. Um, yeah, and also they're you know they're just kind of like they're they're having fun with it and letting it and letting yep. it rock. And I think. I think that we're going to see some changes. Like I think with films like prey coming out and, uh, and, and, you know, over the past, however many years you start, we're starting to kind of see that more sequels and, or, or, or kind of cinematic worlds or reboots or whatever are falling to the wayside. I think that there will be Mm -hmm. a little bit more thought that goes into it. Like I, I'm, I am interested to see um, Alvarez's alien film. Because mm-hmm. at the core of it, he's a filmmaker who makes. I mean, if, if it's if it's don't breathe with a xenomorph, I'm in. Yeah, that's sick. That's like tight. that's that's like he's he is he very much understands what was being done in Ridley Scott's film, or at least one aspect of it. And so, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I I'm I'm hopeful because it seems like the studio has given up on that, or or maybe not given up on that, but they've cooled on it. Uh, after Covenant and the kind of mixed reactions that Covenant got and Prometheus got. Although mm-hmm. I will die on the hill that Prometheus is great uh, and it's only gotten better since it's, it's released. But um, yeah, but the, the, you know, now they're, you're starting to see things, people cool on things and, and then you're getting these, these sequels that are made by people who actually understand what, what, what the point of the original film was, or, or at least they're putting their spin on the, on the tone and the, 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 the world, the story, the, the characters yeah. of the original films. Like if, if none of the sequels to predator happened and prey was the sequel, um, mm-hmm. that's a banging double, double feature. Like that, that's, that's so sick. Um, yeah. And, and, but of course, you know, they're going to try different things. I actually don't mind predators as well, but it, you know, we talked about this already. Um, yeah. But I think, I think that there's and now because of the feedback loop of, like I said, nostalgia and social media and fan expectations, I think that, that, that studios are so hesitant to, to deviate from something that works. Um, but we're mm-hmm. seeing things that are being, you know, rebooted or sequels that do work uh, or do try something different and succeed but it has to be done yeah. competently it's like look at the marvel cinematic universe like i would say everything up till mm-hmm. end game um 
it has its value. There are some stuff that doesn't, it's not as strong, but overall yeah. it, you know, it has its kind of value, its tone, its reasoning. And there's some really good different stuff in there. And then there's some stuff that's kind of middling and there's one or two meh. Um, but overall as a, as a kind of encapsulated thing, it really works after that. I don't, I mean, the pandemic happened, they changed Disney changed its ownership or, or the CEO left and then came back. Like all these things happened. But the problem that I think they're facing now is that they, they don't, aside from many of their actors leaving or dying, uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman, but the, the, uh, the response from the internet and the weird MCU people has caused them yeah. to rethink and redo and change things at the last minute. Their worry about leaks coming out has changed the way that they film. Um, their attempts at bringing in new characters, but they're not bringing in filmmakers that care about those characters. Like John Favreau mm-hmm. cared about Iron Man. Like he wanted, yeah, he risked it on Iron Man, and it paid off big. Paid off big mm-hmm. for him. Um, yeah, and and you know. <laughs> and I just think that they're losing their this franchise fat fatigue and they're losing their way and they're they're not standing on the things that they should be standing on. Their the pandemic screwed up the shooting schedule. Of course, Jonathan Majors and his troubles. But I, I just don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know if it's that they're not letting the, the people that are working for them cook or if there's too much restrictions or if there's not enough mm-hmm. care. I don't know. But that that the MCU up until Endgame was a feat of of marketing, storytelling, all like people will talk about mm-hmm. that forever in film. But now you're seeing what happens after when you can't get a footing yeah. into something that works afterwards, or it's too and too few and far between. People get tired of it, and so my question mm-hmm. to you is, you know, is there a sp- point where you should stop? Like, should do you think that there's sequels? Um, at a certain point, it's just like, should we not do this? Like, I think there should be more original, you know, with all the, the abundance of sequels, prequels, and reboots, I feel like there's missed opportunities to explore new narratives and new mm-hmm. stories. And relying on the ex- existential intellectual properties can really limit the creation of new and compelling cinematic experiences. In my yeah. opinion. Um, well... Yeah, I I don't I I think sequels I don't are know. great. I, don't get me wrong. I like sequels, but yeah. when they're done well. Yeah, no, it needs <coughs> to be done well. And like there needs to be like a reason for it. Like it needs it needs to there needs to be a reason for it. Like I so right now the example I'm thinking of is like the Die Hard movies. Like so Die Hard as a movie, it works, okay? As, mm-hmm. as John McClane works. But then all the sequels, none of those were written as diehard movies. None of the sequels were written as a John McClane movies. Those were all different things that just, you know, screenwriters wrote. And then they wrote that character into it. Because they realize, oh, we have this thing that sells now. So we need to put this thing out. And majority of the Die Hard sequels are shit. Except for with a vengeance. Well, no, I like I like Die Hard. I'd like Die Harder, but I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is 
um the best sequel i think it's yeah great but yeah so like there's stuff like that where they realize like oh it we just have something that we can sell but but then you but then there's like sequels that are also like for example i don't know so blade runner and blade runner 2049 and then the other one i'm kind of thinking of is the hustler and the color of money so these are both movies that have decades separating the sequels and in both cases the original filmmakers had little to do with the actual making of the sequel but yet they both absolutely nailed it like Martin Scorsese with The Color of Money absolutely nails everything that was done in The Hustler. Is that it's about just dirty, the dirty underground crime world of fucking high stakes pool or snooker or whatever. I don't understand tabletop ball games. Billiards. But those billiards, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. And then Blade Runner, you know. Ridley Scott to Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve was so tapped in. He knew exactly how to do it and how to incorporate the character, in this case, incorporating uh, Harrison Ford's character, in the other in the other case, incorporating Paul Newman. Like it that that's genius. And that's just people that actually cared. And they're like, I want to write this story because I care about this character and I care about this world and I'm not trying to sell a fucking toy or trying to sell a quick, like, especially like in the nineties, a lot of stuff was designed based on what his VHS cover was like. So stuff like, so, you know, there's just images that they knew could sell and stuff. So that's the thing. When you see something that they just want to quickly profit off of versus something that is actually something someone's cared about and actually has nurtured and did it because they found a reason for it to be necessary. Well, and I think that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's like Blade Runner 2049 is a great example because it is a film that continues the story while introducing Mm -hmm. new elements. There's the, the visually it, it recalls the original while also adding kind of Villeneuve's visual language um mm-hmm. which just works so well with with that world but then also mm-hmm. like you said you're bringing back Harrison Ford in a in in not even for the whole film just for a portion of it um mm-hmm. and treating that character you know and and not only the character but the themes of the first film with such reverence and i think that's part of what makes a good yeah. sequel that as we're talking i'm realizing it's not just about continuing the story or telling or revisiting the characters in a way that's Mm -hmm. like, boom, let's put it on a lunchbox. It's about Mm -hmm. reverence for the film and realizing that there are risks. Like you have to feel some risk when you're making a sequel. You have to feel like I have to do something that's going to improve this, not something where the studio says, Hey, how can we just like make another one and sell some more toys? And I think that mm-hmm. there's value in making in 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 nostalgia and fan service, but then you look at things like um, um, the 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 Star Wars sequel trilogy that came out in the last ten years, mm-hmm. where it's like it started with a soft reboot that introduced new characters while revisiting some 
older characters, Harrison Ford again, and some old ideas. Um, but mm-hmm. then, and then the second one tried to change things and add new stuff. And the weird people on the internet were like, my space wizards aren't doing what I want them to do. And screamed mm-hmm. and cried, there's a black man on my screen or whatever. There, There's an Asian woman on my screen, whatever they were mad at. They're mad at a bunch of people's yeah. races and stuff. And I was like, how can you be mad about a, about a person, an African-American person or an Asian person in space when yeah. there's a dude who looks like a living set of testicles? Yeah, there's a slug man. There's a slug man and a guy who looks like balls that have come to life. And you're like, those guys are fine. But this Asian woman, like, what's wrong with you? You can't believe in that, but you believe there's a genre of music called jizz. You're a fucking idiot. You're downloading (laughs) the Jizz Whaler's greatest hits. Um, Yeah. But so I, and I don't, that kind of fan feedback and stuff, that pressure that was put on it, they, Mm -hmm. they just got rid of. What what was supposed actually, and I've read the yeah. script for Colin Trevorrow's Duel of the Fates, which is a way better name to end the series on. Duel of the Fates, yeah. the song from the first one when they fought Darth Maul, like that matters to, to people who care about the franchise. Those kind of mm-hmm. small things, not guess what? Palpatine's back. You know, like yeah, nobody's back. He's the boy back. Is back. And there's just so many bad choices on behalf of the studio and the filmmakers and everything. And it just got completely out of control for them. And it feels like they lost the the, the point. They lost the theme. They lost Mm -hmm. the ideas. They lost the, the trajectory. They lost it. Just the last, that last movie is garbage. And yeah. And you know, like how you could have paid me and I could have made, made it work. Like, yeah, you could have given me ten thousand dollars, and I would have written you a script that whooped ass. You could then give it to yeah. other people to fix, but like you know, like I could have given you a treatment that would have been dope as hell, because I actually watched the films and know what the themes of the movies are and stuff. And yeah, it, you know, like it, I, it, there has to be some kind of risk, and it feels like there was no risk there. They were just like, we're gonna do whatever we want because people are gonna go see it because. People are on the internet yelling about the things that they don't like and being weird little nerd racists. Uh, and and we're going to give them what they want and they're going to go see it whether it's good or not. And there was no risk. There's none. There was no risk or reverence to the original stuff. And I think that's where the problem is. I mean, look at, look at The Hobbit. Why did they make yeah. The Hobbit a trilogy? Why did they bring back all these other characters that weren't in the book? Why did they do all the stuff that they did? And, and you're like, here's a prequel to the Lord of the Rings, which um, yeah. is, you know, people love the Lord of the Rings. And I don't know why Peter Jackson didn't feel like there was more risk to what he was doing. Like It felt like he was like, I know people are going to come because they want to see more of the Shire. And so we're just going to yeah. do whatever. <laughs> you know, like, people yeah, want to see orcs I again. feel like... And- Exactly. Peter Jackson was just given so much money to just play with cameras, basically. Yeah. He was they were just like, no here's risk. a billion dollars. Go play with the most expensive cameras possible. Go play with the greatest special effects ever assembled and have fun with it, Peter. Oh, the story kind of sucks. Who cares? Whatever. Go Who make cares? some make 10 hours. Th- make, shit. It th- make it three hours or three movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, we need summer sorry. blockbusters for the next three years. So go go to New Zealand with your little tiny New Zealand people and go make us a franchise. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. We'll and so there's no bearded there, it man. It didn't feel like there's any risk to the filmmaker. I mean, I think that's part yeah, of no. it is that there needs to be some 
some kind of reverence for the original stuff and it yeah. needs to feel like there's some there is some risk in if you fail you mm-hmm. are going to uh you are you are going to fail the weight of the legacy and i think one of the things this actually you know what this ties back into what you were saying i think one of the things mm-hmm. is when you have someone come from outside of the franchise who is who is mm-hmm. someone that's not connected into it in any way usually that person winds up injecting it with a much needed um boost of creativity and energy because mm-hmm. <clears throat> at a certain point maybe certain directors one the risk isn't there because they feel they're they're on their they're living you know under the weight of their own hubris like they're like well i already yeah. did you know even if these ones suck i did the first ones which were sick yeah. and so it's like there's no no kind of like vulnerability to them and you see it time and time again. I mean, look at even the the um, Jurassic World where Colin Trevorrow came and there was some weight to making sure that Jurassic World was like a good reboot, a good mm-hmm. sequel slash soft reboot. But after that, he was like, well, I already made the first one. So when he came back for the third one, he was just like, yeah, this is all about like ending the story and doing all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it was just an overblown mess. And it was like, you're, you have lost sight of what it was really about. And now it's about your ego and your, and making money and there's no risk. And I think that's where you see stuff when it becomes about profit over creative integrity, you see things fail. Uh, And I think we could just mark that down as like, that's a fact. That's a Fendi fact, you know? Yeah. You, it's yeah. it's uh it's it's one of these weird instances where you know when people ha- come to something with an, a, an original idea or they're they're brought from outside of that world there's some reverence to it and i think that's why you see it like we could talk about prey again i mean trachtenberg has been very very mm-hmm. out, outspoken about how much the predator films meant to him and what he was trying to do to it and how he was trying to honor <clears throat> you know what the first movie mm-hmm. was while also bringing it into this century and telling a different story that, you know, that was more, uh, uh, you know, um, kind of, uh, diverse and, and, and focused and paid attention on giving, um, a voice to a group of people who at one time they called the land, the, their home and now have been mm-hmm. kind of marginalized and treated poorly um and really do it honestly and earnestly and like but still have badass action i mean there's a dude that gets ripped in half like it's sick um i don't know i don't know i don't know if you have any final final thoughts i mean we're coming up we have any other final topics we're coming up on the on an hour mark and i do want to ask what you've been watching and listening and do a little check-in on that because i know you're uh two of your two of your big shows are ending tonight but do you have any other thoughts any other uh, uh, questions um, you want to bring forth about about sequels, and let's get let's be real. There are sequels that I love and that I think are great. Yeah, and you know we're not there, dissing yeah, no, all there's sequels. A, there's <laughs> fantastic sequels. I constantly will argue that Temple of Doom is the best Indiana Jones movie. That's that's my argument. Or uh, Dream Warriors is the best uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie uh you know there's multiple there's things like that like there's but those there's some that are also like just pure enjoyment like 
again, most horror sequels. Like, eventually, you just, like, all the Halloween sequels up until the recent ones, which, again, bringing an outside thing, bringing David Gordon Green and fucking Danny McBride, of all people, getting people from a completely different genre to come in and be like, hey, do you want to work with this fucking franchise that has a devout following and try and do something different with it? And then they completely, you know, they disregard all of the sequels, make a direct sequel to the first movie, and they did something interesting with it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of debate of how they did it, but at least they came in, they did something different. They kept most of the stuff that made the John Carpenter original good while adding to it and putting their own twist on it. And ultimately, I think the more the recent Halloween trilogy is pretty good. Uh, you know, it has its detractors, but that's every franchise now. And that's the thing with franchises is that people just I care so deeply about them for whatever reason, whether it's nostalgia or, you know, it's something they grew, whatever it is, it's just a very, I don't know. It has a thing. So, well, I, and I, I think, don't know. I think this kind of like, cause this is another one of the questions that I have is, um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, the trend of content sequels, prequels and reboots can o- also overshadow original and divisive voices in the film industry. Um, how how does the focus on established franchise affect opportunities for fresh storytelling and underrepresented creators? Well, I think that the answer we 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 answered it because oftentimes it's more about merchandising and making a profit than it is about putting kind of creative integrity and understanding the yeah. risks in undertaking. I think that that you know <clears throat> these missed opportunities uh, that we're having here is is to not give these new filmmakers and it started like it did. There was a period in the 2010s where they were taking indie filmmakers and going, all right, have at it. And a lot of those films worked, you know, where, because Mm -hmm. there was a reverence for the original. Now, then after they did that, they became big directors. And then their, their kind of reverence got crushed by their ego or whatever it is. But I think that, that there's a way where we can kind of allow fresh storytelling and underrepresented creators and and independent creators and people who care about the franchise continue to improve franchises through sequels, reboots, prequels, Mm -hmm. whatever. But it's, you got to find people who actually care about it. Not are just doing it for a paycheck or, or doing it because they feel like they have to, because they did another one or, you know, there's a way that we can kind of, that studios can inject freshness and that's taking a gamble on some people that may not be a surefire surefire thing but look at look at like Mm -hmm. even if you're talking about say mission impossible mission impossible movies took on a whole new uh lifetime life life you know with bringing in jj abrams for three and then and then brad bird and then uh and then now christopher mcquarrie who's working closely with tom cruise and and they but those people you know and tom himself has a reverence for that franchise and what he wants to do with it yeah and knows yeah, that, he's you know, very passionate about that franchise to the point where he's willing to hang himself off a fucking airplane, which is insane. Now, but on the other but side, that, of the dude's it, willing to die for that franchise. But is the, how much he cares about making it good. But on the other side of it, you look at something like Fast and the Furious, which I think is fully mm-hmm. under control of Vin now, 
Except, um, yeah. spoiler alerts for facts, Fast X. I don't know if you've seen it or you're going to, but apparently The Rock is in the post credit scenes, so he's back. Uh, so. You know, Shazam didn't work out, so Hobbs, throw on the baby oil. Let's go. We're back to bang the Cherokee yeah. drum, as he says, uh, or bang mm-hmm. bang their ass like a Cherokee drum or whatever he yeah. he says in that movie. Um, um. <laughs> but I think that there's a way that we can bring in fresh storytelling and, 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 and yeah. innovate in sequels. But it's it's kind of it requires us to it requires the industry to look at itself. Yeah, it requires filmmakers to look at itself. And of course, I don't want people to not get money. But like, mm-hmm. if you're if you did two or three films of uh, and of uh, a franchise, and they mm-hmm. they're dropping in quality, maybe give someone else the rein and go and use your cultural capital to get another original film made. You know, mm-hmm. do something that's yeah. passion that you're passionate about. Um, of course there's contracts and studios and all that stuff. So it's not, it's easier said than done, but reflecting Mm -hmm. now at the end on the negative aspects of sequels, prequels, and reboots, um, what other changes do you think need to happen in the film industry to strike a better balance between these like nostalgia driven franchise IPs and fresh original storytelling? Do you think that something like everything everywhere all at once winning the Oscar says something about, about where we might be heading or means something for original filmmaking? Like where do you, the, the fact that Marvel's kind of on its last legs, like what do you, what do you think needs to happen? How can we make this work? Do you have any ideas? Oh, I, I think, I don't know. Cause it, it, it's a weird thing since, yeah, we are in a, like everything's so instantaneous and now, you know, it seems like now f- you know, the fandom has, like, you know, their voices heard now, voices are heard, and yada, yada, yada. Like, I I, I don't know. There's just, I, I don't think, you know, sequels are going to be the thing that, you know, they're not high art. I don't think, you know, most sequels, but like, I don't know. It it really depends on like what you're trying to do, but like you know most award like uh, you know Academy Award films, those are standalone stories that you know stand alone, and like that's there's like a different type of they're different types of filmmaking, and they're different types of like like I like the color like the color of money like that was approached Scorsese approached that as I'm going to make a singular film like you can watch the color of money and have no idea that the hustler is even a movie you can have no idea that fast eddie is from a previous movie and has a previous life because that movie goes in it singularly does what it wants to do telling the story of tom cruise coming in as a young guy learning from a legend and making his money and doing his shit and i don't know it's just you if you're gonna make sequels it has to have like a purpose there has to be a reason for it to exist like so one thing i was thinking of is sequels that try to introduce new cast members or new characters where a failure is the expendables three because they're like oh let's bring all these young people let's bring in all these women and it's like no your fan base is fat idiots that want to see <laughs> fucking arnold schwarzenegger show up for 30 seconds smoking a cigar and go 
oh, yeah, baby. Uh, uh. I'm back. And then have Sylvester <laughs> Stallone do some dumb shit while Chuck Norris does a Chuck Norris joke. That's what they want. Then that's that's what they want. They want bald heads, muscles, doing crazy shit. And that's why the first two are awesome, because that's what it is. It's the dumbest movie possible. And then they're like, oh, let's introduce Ronda Rousey and these people. And the guys are like, I don't want to see girl. Oh, are you dumb? And they, they, they just didn't understand it. Now, on the flip side, a franchise that I think, you know, created longevity by introducing a new cast is Jackass. Jackass Forever is hilarious. And they realized... Hey, some of us are in our 40s and 50s. It's kind of sad and pathetic that we're still pranking each other. Why don't we get these young guys here that are also complete baboons and let's prank them? And then it actually turns into a really heartwarming, fun, hilarious movie. And it works because you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then you like the new cast members because Johnny Knoxville just punched Zach in the nuts. That's awesome. Well, I want to be punched in the nuts by Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> like, <laughs> and yeah. I think I think that one of the things, too, that, like, so an example of the Expendables, I don't think it was necessarily that they brought Ronda Rousey in. It's that they were, like, halfway through the movie, they're like, fuck all the old people. Yeah. Like, they just got rid of everybody except Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. and then Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Who who's mm-hmm. kind of funny? He's keep he's like no, let me be on the team. Let me be on like that. It's kind of funny, but yeah. like they took all of the characters that everybody loved that people enjoyed watching, and were like, oh, mm-hmm. we're just gonna get rid of them. Now, obviously, yeah. they were coming back back at the end. But if you're watching the the expend, if you're first day Expendables three movie goer, you, that's not what mm-hmm. you want. You don't want to see. Yeah. You don't want to see Stallone's character telling Lloyd Christmas go away. No, you're like I want to see Jason wanna... Statham do. Yeah, I want to see that bald man do some tricks. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah you want to see him throw knives. And then, and, and then, Hell and yeah. then the response, the the people that they got instead of that were like some MMA fighters, and and no, yeah. Luke Hemsworth was in the second one, and then he died. There was some mm-hmm. other. He's like Ronda Rousey and some MMA fighters, and they're like, yeah. oh, and everyone's like, oh, this is the new team, and, and then Antonio Banderas, and everyone's like, get out of here. Get out yeah. of here. So it's like even you mm-hmm. get to the ending, which is big set piece, and the old the old team comes back and and so Stallone and Mel Gibson fight it out and all this stuff and whatever. But it's like you just turned your back on your entire the entire fans of this and you gave us an hour of we don't care. And it's yeah. hard to get back after an hour of we don't care. I'll tell you, mm-hmm. I'll give you a prime example of that. If Avatar 2, The Way of Water, if the, the final third of that movie wasn't so goddamn white knuckle, balls to the wall, crazy ass action, yeah. then that movie would have, if it, if it didn't complete compete in that f- final third, if it didn't really, really come back in a way that was like absolutely nuts that only yeah. Big Jim could do, that movie would be atrocious because the it starts yeah. off the first like third or quarter has some action, familiar places. Okay, we're moving somewhere else, and the middle of it is like National yeah, there's Geographic. a Nat Geo. Yeah, 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 it's like exactly. And so like you know you have to you have to deliver on that. But the way that movie was mm-hmm. was organized, it was like action, action, action. Some things happening. Ooh, Wesley Snipes is here, and ooh. Um, Oh my God, Mel Gibson is, oh, and then all of a sudden he's like, okay, you guys like go away. 
oh, somebody got hurt. I can't risk you guys. Go away. And uh, and then gets rid of all of the original team. And then you have this hour-long sequence where he's like, or like 45-minute-long sequence where he's like finding the new people and they're all people we don't care about. And it's it's not even mm-hmm. just, I mean, of course, there were some idiots that were like, I don't want to see Ronda Rousey. But, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It, I think overall it was just this horrible idea and storytelling where it's like you totally miss the mark of what people want to see. People love Expendables yeah. too because, like you said, it's just a bunch of it's like dad rock for movies, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and- <laughs> what if what if a disturb song was ninety minutes and an action movie? <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. What if what if a perfect circle? <laughs> Yeah, um, what if Five Finger Death Punch was a visual experience? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um uh, it, so it's in that movie is and again, so we you know, we're getting into this whole thing about like, you know, there's this fine line between like knowing your audience and and respecting mm-hmm. your audience and fan expectations and fan service and nostalgia and all that stuff and then also innovating and making a good product. And I think in mm-hmm. I think that movie specifically failed in both, um, mm-hmm. uh, which is also how I feel about the third Star Wars movie, is that it's just so ham fisted and insane. Characters who were main characters for the first two movies are now relegated to like three lines. Like yeah. I, 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 I know he will never hear this, but John Boyega, I am sorry for the way that they treated you. He was an interesting fresh idea what if a stormtrooper turned yeah incredible absolute banger easy story to tell and and what did they do by the third movie he's in like a couple scenes has maybe a few lines they they there's no payoff really Ooh, he needed another space space black lady ooh, you know like nothing nothing meaningful no, they just tossed him aside they made him into nothing and he was on the cover of the first one holding a lightsaber what is yeah. wrong with you like i it's it's this i'm so heated about this movie i will i want to fight everybody who's involved in it um yeah but but it's just it's yeah. so hamfisted, so corny, so scared of what the audience will say. They scrapped a whole film. I'll tell you, it, I've like I said, I've read the Duel of the Fates script. It had Finn leading a stormtrooper revolution against the First Order. Hardest mm-hmm. shit. I, that's so sick, and they couldn't even. They, what is? I just don't know. Kathleen Kennedy, get it together. I don't care. Screw yeah. off. Um, um, but that's a prime example I had, of people losing it all. They all, they got lost in the sauce. They, they lost the, th- yeah. the point, the theme. They cared too much about nostalgia and fan expectations. They didn't think about the craft or innovating. It just turned into this puddle of absolute piss. And, uh, and, and ladies and gentlemen, that's how you fuck up a franchise. They had to, it took so long for them to get out of that with the Mandalorian and with, mm-hmm. with all the stuff. But like even some of the shows they've made, the Obi-Wan show and stuff like that, meh, make something good. You've got millions of dollars. You've got creative teams. Just give mm-hmm. somebody a shot to make something new and original. And then boom, guess what? They give it to John Favreau and he runs the ball the way to the end zone. 
because John Favreau actually likes making movies and is interested in filmmaking and telling good stories. God, mm-hmm. underrated director, by the way. Yeah. Uh, um, one last uh, sort of like topic that often not really talked about, but like uh, stuff like, you know, sort of like spiritual sequels, thematic sequels, like things that aren't necessary, like so things that aren't necessarily like uh like a franchise sort of thing, um, more or less like things that like sort of like just embody the same sort of spirit. Because this also ties into like what I'm watching recently. Because recently I watched the new Paul Schrader movie called Master Gardener, and I good movie if you like Paul Schrader movies. If you know what Paul Schrader movies are about, oh, of course, uh, first reformed, great. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. First Reform is actually the first in a trilogy of thematic, you know, a thematic trilogy. So it goes First Reformed, which is an amazing fucking movie. Probably one of the most underrated movies of the last 10 years. It is insane. It is so good. Uh, Similarly, The Card Counter with Oscar Isaac fucking amazing crazy good and then master gardener not as good as those two but if you've seen those two you kind of know where the movie's going to go and they more or less have the same trajectory of that you know they're about a man with a very questionable past that slowly sort of uncovers itself as he seeks you know sort of i don't know revenge vengeance clarity something he's seeking something and so you know so that's like stuff like even you know scorsese doesn't like you could argue that like casino is in some way kind of a sequel to goodfellas and that it has the exact same stylistic elements has more or less the exact same sort of themes and you know it's very much the same sort of movie and you know but then that also that's the thing then if you're talking spiritual sequels and you know stuff by filmmakers that also then like lends its way to just auteur theory as well which like i don't know do you have like can you think of any examples like this isn't this wasn't something i really like thought out but like spiritual uh thematic sort of trilogies like i I guess that's more of a that's like more of like a European thing, I guess. Like, because like Michael Haneke did it where his first three movies were sort of, uh, you know, just sort of ex- exploring very dark elements of like suburban German yes, got, Austrian life. We got some, we got some lists here. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, some things here that make sense. <clears throat> and some some things here that don't necessarily, but um, mm-hmm. um, made in swingers. Uh, uh, yeah, that that th- that's yeah a very, for sure. A spiritual, yeah, John Favreau. Uh, yeah, exactly. En- yeah. Uh, enemy of the state in the conversation. There's kind of oh, like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's a it's a thin one at best, but that there's kind of like because of the conversation. And yeah, Hattie's because characters. of the theme. Yeah, yeah, it has. There is the connecting tissue there of the espionage, you know, surveillance yeah. stuff, and then Gene Hackman's character. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, yeah, um, forgot about that. And one. and Goodwill Hunting and Finding Forrester because they were Goodwill mm-hmm. Hunting was such a, a departure for Gus Van Zant, and um, and Finding Forrester is very similar to Goodwill Hunting in many ways. Runaway Bride and Pretty Woman. You've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. 
U.S. Marshals mm-hmm. and the Fugitive, um, Casino and Goodfellas. Actually, Carlitos yeah, Gus Way. Van Sant also did like a recent one, like because he did like a sort of like a very like cinema verite style look with like Elephant, which is sort of loosely based on the Columbine shooting, and then. He did the one that's sort of based on uh, Kurt Cobain and stuff. And there, I think he labeled those as like a trilogy about like sort of like local tragedies or like something like that. I forget. Uh, also, another three fan. here that you're going to go, oh, right. Uh, Inland yeah. Empire, Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, that the, makes the sense, the obviously. S- spiritual trilogy. And another one that I can't oh. believe I didn't even think of. And if you're about to say this, then then you just caught the brainwave I got. But everybody wants some and dazed and confused. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. A lot of actually, well, you could say even Slacker and uh, you know, a, a lot of Linklater films like have connecting tissue as well. Uh, like, uh, well, same with Terrence Slack- Hall- or Terrence Malick films. You know, pretty yeah. much all of his films are just like spiritual sequels to one another, just about different different times where people feel existential. Like that's pretty much mm-hmm. his, his movies. Are. This thin, the thin red line, you're existential at war, you know? Yeah. The tree of yeah, life, much. you're existential at home with a family. Like <laughs> that's pretty yeah. much what it is. The one with Ryan Gosling, you're existential at a music festival. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, fuck. There is one that I just, uh, it just came to me and then it just like escaped me. Fuck. Um, but God there's damn it. there's plenty of oh. Uh, oh go ahead. Um, so uh, uh, like sort of like speaking on franchises and time away and being meticulous about it, the Twin Peaks like sequel series, the the Return series that came out a couple of years ago, fucking perfect. Like David Lynch knew exactly what to do with that franchise, and he knew it's weird because you know there's the whole thing about all return in 25 years and then literally 25 years later the show came back so like it's kind of like did he know to do this because david lynch is that much of a fucking crazy person to actually do that and maybe this was something he intended on the entire time but that was something that was created with so much care and love for the original series and knew how to continue that story like perfectly it's a perfect like sequel series it's so good um or like tv or other like movie to tvs like fargo like the the series this like perfectly encapsulates thematically everything that the movie does even though every season is about like a completely different thing and you know what I, i love that because that's exactly what i'm talking about because yeah. uh, when you have somebody who makes a sh- show based on a movie, but they base it mm-hmm. around the kind of like uh, themes and and aesthetic and mm-hmm. style of the film, but explore uh, and explore similar stories, but in different situations, all of course in mm-hmm. Minnesota. But um, yeah. you know, like having having this these this kind of. Uh, uh, reverence for the film and not wanting to ruin its legacy and wanting to build out that world and tell other stories. I mean, that works so well. That's such a good example of that. And it's also trans medium. I get, well, it's the same medium, but like one's mm-hmm. film, one's television. 
Um, and I think that that's yeah. like a prime example. And then they've tried to do that with other movies. And then you just get a TV fied version of the movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you wind up, it's just like, a, it's just the movie with some more scenes that aren't really necessary. Yeah. And like, why am I mm-hmm. watching it? And then they go off the rails and they have to add stuff if it goes well and blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I just think, you know, I think that, uh, I, I think that there's value in, in all of it. Like, I think mm-hmm. I'm not a hater on reboots. Uh, I, a lot of people, they're like, no. they're kind of haters on it. And I understand to a certain degree, of course, but, um, but I also think that like, you know, in a world where we're, you know, post streaming world where there are so many different versions and so, and we're in cinema itself is, is, is so big now. It's like what literature and comic books are in literature and in comic books, you have reboots, remakes, side stories, side arcs, all these different things that happen. So the idea that someone can't revisit something and, and put their own spin on it when done properly, I think is, is par for the course. Like, I think it's fine. Um, But it has Mm -hmm. to be done with reverence to what's come before and the source material. So a prime example of that for me is the Batman where, you know, Mm -hmm. that movie kind of gives its flowers to Nolan and Nolan's iteration of that but also calls upon some stuff from things like the animated show or the old, or, yeah. you know, or, or, or the older, Frank Miller the stories, Frank Miller stories or, or, you know, um, kind of draws from a bunch of different things. Like even the, the Joker gang guys that he beats up in the start, like that's directly pulled from like the Frank Miller stuff and from some of the animated shows, like the, the makeup and everything yeah. like that, that it's, there's a def- definite reverence and sense of, care but also willingness to try a new way of telling the story of batman and there's risk because if you don't live up to or at least kind of carve out your own path at the same level as what nolan did with the dark knight kind of fucked people are going to come down on you especially comic book fans so matt reeves incredible director and screenwriter he mm-hmm. he took his time with it and he did his damn thing. And guess what? It's great. And then the sequel, they're like, we want it right away. And he's like, no, no, I need a little bit of time. That's what you're yeah. supposed to do. You're supposed to care about it. If you do something good, people will like it and people will appreciate it. And I think that that the kind of like balance of for profit versus creative integrity is like a huge part of discussing the value of sequels and what makes it good and what makes it bad. Um, but there's so many moving parts and so many var- variables and, you know, we're just two guys. We're not even in the industry per se, uh, kind of, but you know, not in the Hollywood side of it. So it's like, yeah, we're not in the big business side. Like, yeah. I'm so I guess, I guess the question that I want to ask to our listeners, and, uh, this is something that, uh, we'd like to, uh, start including more. Do you guys have any thoughts about sequels? Do you have any sequels you really love? Do you have any opinions uh-huh. on kind of what we've been talking about? Do you think we're just, uh, you know, talking about the side of our head or, or, or do you agree with something? Is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, there is a box on Spotify below here that's going to have a, a place for you to uh, leave a comment on, on, on the episode or you can email us birdprotocol at gmail.com. 
and you can send us some stuff. And, and if you, you know, if you tick, if you tickle our brains, we will talk about it on the next episode. Or if you have a question for us yeah. that you'd like to pose to the listeners or hear us talk about, send it via email or, 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 or fill out the little thing on Spotify or hit us up on Instagram. And we would love to involve the listeners a little bit more. I think that's the end of our conversation about, about sequels for today. We may wind up coming back and talking about mm-hmm. it. We didn't even really get to talk about video games, which is remakes. Are, yeah, dude. Uh, remakes are a whole, reboots and remakes are a whole thing right now in video games. But you know what? I don't want to push this one too, too long. And I feel like that's opening up a Pandora's box. So maybe yeah. we'll get to that on a lazy bird or we'll come back around and talk about the state of video gaming. Uh, I'm sure at some point mm-hmm. very soon. Um, but that's a whole mm-hmm. thing that's going on where it's like, they're just remaking a bunch yeah. of games and some of them rip, but then some of them, it's like, what's the point? Uh, and, uh, yeah. and again, you can kind of see which ones people care about. And there's a risk mm-hmm. risk to, to ruining the legacy. And then there's the other ones where they're just like, we can slap some ray tracing on this. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Rockstar. <coughs> um, God damn yeah. that re re release of the trilogy was so bad um yeah uh i mean yeah but then there's good stuff like the dead space and resident evil 4 remakes that just came out or the demon souls remake for ps5 all exactly. amazing i mean they just announced um, a snake eater metal gear solid snake eater which fuck yeah uh, yeah, yeah i'm gonna play fuck yeah but i hope yeah. it's not trash but you know anyway no i i think it'll be good um just i just want to give a quick shout out to a very good movie sequel that i think people should watch uh because I just think it's an awesome movie. Uh, the Exorcist 3. Uh, fucking so good because, you know, The Exorcist, first one, classic, you know, classic of the genre. Exorcist 2, The Heretic, piece of shit. And then number three, <laughs> William Peter Blatty, the actual writer of the novel, The Exorcist, and its sequel, Legion, came in, wrote and directed the third movie. It's actually really fucking good and an incredibly underrated horror movie that has been getting its reappraisal recently. But uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out because it's sick and it's just a good standalone movie. It doesn't really have much to do with the original other than it's about exorcism. So there you go. Uh, oh, we didn't even, I didn't that, even get, there's a couple more that I wanted to, to, to quickly run through. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even talk about like, comedy like yeah. sequels because that's like a whole separate thing yeah. of like um, comedy and i and also yeah. even there's so much more we were talking about them the, within the marvel too like uh yeah. i think an outstanding sequel um on the same level as what like you know we're talking about a, a sequel that 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 did better than the original that raised the bar uh, i know you don't care about marvel as much as i do but captain america the winter soldier compared to captain america the first Mm. avenger that's like are you kidding me captain america the winter soldier is just like a solid ass film like not even Mm -hmm. not as a like that movie rips um and another one would be thor ragnarok which yeah well yeah because that completely like gave like a breath of like new life into thor as an entire character because thor was boring as shit before that movie and then they're like what if we make it funny and then it's like wait what there's no way we could do it but then taika did it and it worked yeah but then he also fucked it with 
Love and Thunder. So yeah. it's like, okay, maybe maybe that wasn't just that simple of a thing to do. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. I have I, no idea how how the, that's a that's a whole conversation on its own. How you can go from Ragnarok to Love and Thunder in like what? But anyway, yeah, I don't know. sometimes I don't it know. just happens. And we also didn't mention as far as uh, a good sequel. And even though I mean they aren't they are sequels, but they are also kind of spiritual sequels because they take place over many years in many different uh, kind of uh, personal situations. But the the before sunset, before midnight. Oh right, yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah, yeah. Linklater does that all the fucking time. Yeah, Linklater loves coming back. Like, look at look at Boyhood. Boyhood was a complete experimentation of what he was doing with Before Sunset in that terms of filmmaking. Wild. I can't believe that he. It's insane. He did that. Link later. We got. We're gonna have to have one of these days. Genius. Real yeah, talk we got to do more link later. We got to talk it's about. It's crazy that we've later. only done one. We've only done one. Yeah. We got to talk about him a bit more. Also, another one from last year yep. that we didn't even mention. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, that's yeah. a that's a sequel that that did everything right. Came back years later. Um, you know, Tony Scott, rest in peace. But the director yeah. and everybody came with such reverence towards what, what you know, Tony did in the first one and they modernized mm-hmm. it and they did it right. And I think that that's another prime yeah. example of there was risk to it because if Top Gun Maverick yeah. sucked ass, you know, all of the people that were involved in it were going to get their feet to the fire. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, with that, there is a, there was kind of like a, you know, they were sure that people were going to go out to see it because it's Top Gun too, right? But I think mm-hmm. there was also a level of, because even though Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise Scientology weirdo, he does really love cinema. Like he cares about yes. the movies. He 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 gives a fuck about cinema. Yeah. Yes. So I think I think that's a uh, and I think that's another part of it. I mean, this a lot of the studios they care about cinema and the industry, uh, but maybe mm-hmm. not so much cinema the artistry. And uh, I think that that's mm-hmm. another part of the discussion that can be had. But you know what? We'll end it for now because we're coming up in an hour and a half. We, I don't want to bore you guys with another hour of talking about this stuff. But if you, like I said, if you have yeah. any questions, comments, thoughts, uh, hit up the 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 little box below our uh, our episode on Spotify. Send us a message that way. Hit us up on Instagram or email us at Bird Protocol, uh, or Bird Protocol at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you if you if you spark something, we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast, and uh, and we'll respond publicly. So you know. Hit us up, uh, uh, and yeah. uh, and and get involved. You know, initiate the protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what have you been watching lately? Is there anything you want to uh, shout out? Anything you want to uh, mention? Games, movies, TV, anything? Uh, two two. Uh, actually, there's a lot of shit I've been watching, listening to. Uh, yeah. Uh, so recently watching Master Gardener, as I mentioned earlier, Paul Schrader movie. If you like Paul Schrader, yeah. If you're not into dark movies that are going to depress you, then maybe it's not for you. But that is 100% my shit. So thank you. Um, another movie I saw recently, which I was surprised at actually how fucking good it was. And it kind of gave me hope for the future of Canadian cinema because it this is the first time I've seen a Canadian movie and was like that stands up and exceeds 
what Hollywood is doing in this genre. So the movie I'm talking about, Blackberry, written Blackberry. and directed by Matt. You you got cut out there. Blackberry is what oh, you said. Blackberry. Yes, Blackberry. I, yes, Blackberry about the you know phone. Blackberry, which completely changed tech business, the economy. My home. Well, my I guess adopted hometown now of Waterloo, where I live. This is what this city's economy was built on. So it was interesting to see, firstly, a story about something that I have firsthand experience with that I know that I have like personally interacted with and like knew. I had friends that worked at RIM. I, uh, you know, I know a lot about the technology. I know a lot about the characters. Like I know do a whole shit about Jim Basili because my family was for some reason really into that story of him trying to buy an NHL team when that was happening. So this was something that hit home and I think Matt Johnson nailed it with the way he made the film. It's shot in a cinema verite style of almost documentary like doesn't have like talking heads or anything like that but like if you've seen secession it's very much like that where you know there's a lot of zoom ins through like glass and like stuff it, it has very much that office sort of style but it's done it looks good it's amazing it's hilarious matt johnson is so funny in this movie uh jay baruchel great in it but glenn howerton absolutely blew my fucking mind in this movie you will know glenn howerton as dennis from it's always sunny in philadelphia so you know that he can play a like sociopathic asshole for comedy you also know the implication um (laughs) yes and guess what his the way he uh talks about the implications in this movie is fucking terrifying when the way he yells at like it actually sometimes it fucking frightens me it's frightening and i yeah it was just such a good movie about a topic i knew and knowing that it was a 100 canadian production it made me so happy to finally see a Canadian movie get recognition deservedly for just being a good fucking movie. It's not about Canadian identity or some bullshit. It's a movie. It's what if the social network was fucking funny? That's the movie. That's the whole movie. It yeah, has, I've, it, I've, and I've it's heard, so good. I've heard, I, I actually want to publicly... I think I made a joke about that movie like a couple of weeks ago uh, yeah. on the podcast. We were like, how, what? Uh, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. And yeah, it, it blew me about away. Jay Baruchel and about Glenn Howard and about everybody that this movie is yeah. really, really good. And so it's now on my list of things to watch. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm actually stoked that it is getting the shine that it is getting and, and that it is good. You know what? Like I, yeah. I'll eat my words. It's great. It's fantastic. I'll, I'll eat my words Amazing. happily, happily, just like with Dungeons and Dragons. I thought that was going to be stupid and silly and just tone deaf and dumb. And I had a great ass time watching it. It's a fantastic movie. So if, if this is as, as good as, as, as you and, and other podcasters I like, and, and the, just the general populace populace has been, uh, uh, shouting from the rooftops. I'm mm-hmm. stoked. I can't wait to watch it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yes. So, so good. I also, is I was curious about the style because I was like, oh, I hope this isn't like mockumentary. And so I watched uh, Matt Johnson's previous movie, which is called Operation Avalanche. And it actually is a mockumentary style about uh, the faking of the moon landing and like the CIA, you know, what if the CIA actually did do it? And that's actually a really good movie too. And after watching that, I was like, okay, I have hope of how this Blackberry movie is going to be because I actually liked how his other movie was shot. And I was like, okay, cool. And that's another great Canadian movie, Operation Avalanche. So shout out Matt Johnson. Uh, I wish I actually went to the screening in Waterloo of which he had a Q&A afterwards because I would have oh, loved... That would have been sick. We could ask him some questions. Be, could ask him to be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, dude. I may, Maybe I'll reach out to him because I want to ask him because he it, the first song in Blackberry is a no effects song. So I was immediately hooked. And then there's a bunch of references to Doom in the series. And, you know, I've been very vocal about how much I love Doom. And there's actually a joke where they're trying to get new engineers. And then Matt Johnson's character, who's like the nerdy guys, he's like, get the guy from Doom. Get the guy that created Doom. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny. But so yeah, shout out that movie. And then in terms of what I'm listening recently, this movie or this album complete, should say actually, these two albums completely blew me away by a band I thought had peaked a decade ago. The fact that the Acacia Strain not only put out their fucking heaviest album ever, and it's fucking insane with... Uh, What's, what's the fucking, what's the first? Because it's something and then Failure Will Follow, which they also released a Doom album, which is insane. Uh, shit, what's the new Acacia Strain album? Uh, failure Will Follow, or no, um, Step Into the Light and Failure Will Follow. Step, in, step Into the Light is insane. It has some of the heaviest shit ever. Like it's, the riffs are crazy. The breakdowns are so heavy. It's insane. Like, I didn't, I thought, like, I haven't listened, like, I did, I do continuously listen to the Acacia Strain, but, you know, I kind of learned what to expect from that band, and for them to be 20 years in and now deliver, like, one of the most mind-boggling things I've ever heard is insane. Well, uh, I know what I'm listening to the gym, at the gym right after we record. Dude, dude. The song, The ch Chain, during the breakdown, the lyrics, use a chain so the noose won't slip. I'll watch you swing and feed the rats. He's mad. He's mad. He's, he's fucking... Yeah. He's I don't know who Vincent hates, but God damn. God damn. God damn does he He hate. has so much hate for you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, shout out the Acacia Strain. That those albums are sick. Word. Well, uh, what have I been? What have I? I been uh, yeah, what, watching, what listening, listening to? So, well, I did watch Air. Uh, the the story nice. of the Michael Jordan shoe. Um, you know what? It's enjoyable. Uh, it's you know I love to see. Uh, uh, you know there it's Ben Affleck's company. Um, stepping out, doing something that's kind of fun, kind of funny. Um, and you know, even though the kind of like capitalistic lean into it is kind of like not only meta because of the, the 
this being the first film produ- produced by his company, but also, you know, kind of leading into the uh, American uh, celebrity of brands and stuff like that. But still, mm-hmm. nonetheless, Matt Damon's super enjoyable. Um, uh, Viola Davis kills it. It's funny. It's fun. Um, Jason Bateman does his thing. Like, it's it's just a solid, you know, solid Matt Damon, Ben Affleck movie. Uh, and I cool. enjoyed, I just enjoyed watching it. It was a nice, uh, I think it was like a Sunday afternoon. I watched it. It was a great Sunday afternoon, uh, flick. Nice. Um, so if you're I'll into that, yeah, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's, it's good. And it's, it's not super long. It's like not even two hours. It's, it, it goes real nice. Um, Hell yeah. I don't know if I said how much I disliked the movie 65, uh, if I ever got a chance on the pod to say that, but don't watch that movie. No, you you were heavily anticipating that movie. So it, this is the was, first of me hearing no, you. I, I watched it like two voice. weeks ago when I was in, in Pennsylvania. And I think I was so mad. Yeah, well, you did, I did not mention it. No, I, I did write a review of it. I mean, my letterbox is oh. disabled right now. But when I re when I re when I re turn when I turn it back on, uh, you'll be able to read it, but it was me just being like, what the hell is going on? How hard is it to make a dinosaur movie? Why is nobody giving me a job to make a dinosaur movie? I will make one that doesn't blow ass. Even with Adam driver, it's just like, man, come on. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that was my, uh, my, f- I was very frustrated about it. I've been rewatching a lot of stuff. Like I rewatched heat recently. Um, Dude. Why know it's crazy is I just recently watched Thief, which is, I guess, like, he is technically, like, a spiritual sequel to Thief. Because it's, like, the exact same thing. Like, in, in it's both Michael Mann movies, and then in Thief, it's just about James Caan being a diamond thief, and it basically has the exact same plot, except, like, it's not as action-packed as Heat, but it's the same movie, and it goes just as hard as Heat. So good, dude. Watch Thief if you haven't seen it. I will definitely check it out. Um, what else? There was some other stuff that I rewatched recently. I rewatched Heat. Heat. Uh, obviously, um, you know, there's a new season of Queer Eye. Uh, I, I just love the Fab Five. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, love the boys. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like there's something else that I'm just totally forgetting right now. I'm just going through my my accounts. Um, but as far as music goes, um, as far as music goes, oh, I know what I watched. It's funny because we were talking about Fast Five. I watched rewatched Fast Five too. Uh, that's another one that I I I, I revisited recently. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, but, oh, I did watch the, the remake of white men can't jump with Jack Harlow. Um, it's not great. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's not like, it's not as bad as everybody making it out to seem, but it's not, you know, it's definitely a straight to streaming movie. We'll put it that way. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, it's, yeah that's a remake that I don't think needed to happen. They could have just left that alone. They didn't need to do, do another one. Um, and they did it and it's kind of like meh, but, uh, you know what? It was, isn't it strange that white people and black people are different, but they have this common thing of sport. (laughs) Yay. Um, Movie. Yeah. That's That's how I imagined that movie was pitched was, Hey, have we done something about white people and black people coming together? Huh? 
have we? I don't know. Let's do it. And then imagine they just made White Man Can't Jump, not realizing that is literally already a movie. Imagine <laughs> that happened. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, anyway, so those those I also rewatched The Martian recently. Um, nice. Uh, great film. Great. We'll probably I probably want to do an episode on it at some point because that movie oh, yeah, actually for sure. rips so hard. Oh, um, yeah. But I've been really busy, so I haven't really been, like, in taking in a lot of new stuff. Uh, I've been working really hard uh, lately, not to toot my own horn. Um, so, you know, I haven't seen a whole lot of stuff, uh, but I have been listening. I have been listening to a lot of uh, music. Um, the Ketramine tape is a lot of fun. Um, it's Ketranada and Amine together making uh, some really cool kind of, like, if you know, know Kei Trinata and his kind of style of like EDM and dance music, electronic music with, with Amine's kind of uh, a whimsical and fun rap style. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. lot of, it's really good summer music. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, another one that I really, really enjoyed of late, I thought it'd be different from Rory. Uh, who, uh, if you don't know, Rory used to be one of the co-hosts of Joe Budden's podcast. He has his own podcast now, but he's been involved in the industry for a long time. And he did his kind of uh, Quincy Jones thing. He brought a bunch of artists together. He kind of arranged and helped produce all of the tracks, helped write the songs, and made this album that has some of the wildest features I've ever seen. But moreover than that, it's a really cool mix of like modern hip hop, R&B, kind of like soul, like modern soul. It's got, there's a song that has Conway the Machine on it. That's like one of the craziest Conway features I've ever heard. This man mm. got Jay Electronica to come out and rap, rap on one of his songs. Um, great, great artist, R&B artists like... Um, uh, Ari Lennox, James Fauntleroy of Cocaine 80s, uh, Division from Toronto, Drum and Alex Isley, um, uh, Pink Sweats, uh, Child, like Reason from TDE is on it. It's just, I would suggest putting this album on without any expectations other than it's an amazing amalgamation of modern and classic R&B and hip hop sounds. And just listen to it while you're going for a drive or you're cleaning the house or you're chilling with the homies. It's got a little bit for everything. It's got some stuff for hanging out with the ladies. It's got some upbeat summary songs. It's got some real like guitar bluesy driven R&B. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. I was very surprised at how good it is. I mean, not, not very surprised, but you know, you don't necessarily expect a podcaster to turn into an artist and to deliver or turn into kind of a producer mm-hmm. artist and deliver something so, so substantial. It's, it was excellent. Mm-hmm to listen to i really enjoyed it and of course the uh the uh, suicide boys have finished their yin yang twi- uh, tapes um so that's for spring summer fall and winter uh and it's their take on kind of funk and that kind of wave that's coming out right now the really bouncy funk hip-hop production and it's good shit mm. it's really fun to listen to um some street stuff little dirks album came out belly's album came out uh, Chomp 2.5 from Russ. Um, yeah, just some stuff that's come out recently that I've been listening to. I've also been listening to a lot of uh, Pet Symmetry, 
which is uh, a pop punk band that that uh, one of the, um, the the guy who's uh, into it over it. It's he's in that band as well. Okay, and uh, and it's it's just fun kind of modern pop punk that I've really been enjoying. But yeah, what's been really on repeat is I thought it'd be different. I've been listening to that all weekend. It came out on Friday, and it's good, very good. Um, now I know not everybody likes R and B the way I do, but it's cool. It's it's worth giving a listen to if you if you like well crafted music and and cool combinations and you know the Conway feature. Just just listen to the song with the Conway feature alone. Uh, it's called um, "See How This Thing Goes." It's when you when it starts, you're gonna be like, "There's no goddamn way Conway's on this," and then he comes in and smokes it. It's so sick. Um, yeah. Good, good shit. Good shit. I guess that's about it. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you have anything else. Mm-hmm. I've, I haven't been playing. Oh, I have been playing one last thing. Sorry. I have been playing city skylines and that game is like crack. I wish no, I wish they hadn't made it free uh, because I can't stop building cities. Help me. Someone said help. I can't stop building cities. Um, it's a lot of fun. Okay. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, yeah, no, I'll I'll come back next week and I'll let you know how Secession and Barry ended because those oh, are right, two series right. that I'm gonna go watch right after we finish recording these, and they're both the finale. And I don't know, they're they're both two such perfect shows for completely different reasons. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah right. I don't really have much else to say. Yeah, well, all right, that's it for our first topic episode. I think we did pretty well for our first kind of I like think so. top, casual topic. I mean, episode. I think we could have definitely good. kept, we could have kept going. This could have been a two parter for sure. I mean, and as who, we kept going, I kept thinking of more things and examples and and you know, I, I mean, we questions could, we or may, ideas. Yeah, we may come back to it. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think this was really good. Um, I think we're gonna mm-hmm. try and, uh, you know. Uh, pepper one of these in every every couple episodes um and also as we had said before that we want to have some more guests come on so if you listen to us and you're one of the homies you want to come on talk about a, a movie or join in a topic episode or or you know whatever uh shoot us a line um or if you have a release that you'd like to promote um that would be also very sick we we can do an interview or whatever uh but we are also going to talk about some you know uh, regular episodes that are going to be on movies or games or video games, a specific one and lazy birds and, uh, and, and all that good stuff that we're going to add to the mix here. Um, I would like to promote, uh, uh, or at least announce that, um, the, 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 everyone's big homie is back. Palm reader is back. Uh, I have, I have returned from behind the veil and, uh, and I am now, uh, spitting bars again um i took some time away uh to kind of get my head right and to deal with some you know some some feelings i had about about the music i was making and and just also because of the pandemic and everything i stepped away from doing palm reader music as a as a main thing but now you're going to get some new music at the end of june stranger days volume one uh, which is the first of a few EPs I'll be releasing leading up to High Strangeness finally coming out uh, at the end of the year. Um, so there's going to be new music, songs you've heard before, uh, reworked and remixed, remastered. Um, some songs that have been just completely gutted and reformed. Some brand new stuff that you've never heard before. Like it's just a mix of everything. 
uh, and there will be some EPs that come out and then leading up to the album, some of the songs from the EPs will be on it. Some of them won't. Uh, and I just got a lot of music to release. So I'm really stoked. You can listen to uh, Dance with the Devil, um, also known as High Strangeness, on uh, on SoundCloud right now. And um, if we can get that to 250 plays, then I'm going to drop another song. And, uh, and then the EP will come out uh, and be available everywhere uh, at the end of the month of June. And what about you? You want to uh, promote anything? Uh, yeah. Uh, keep listening to my new EP, uh, Cavernous Missing Transmissions. Uh, yeah, that that's out there now. That's out in the world. And then I, I don't know when it's available. I think it's Monday, so the 29th. Uh, I did... I think that's when it comes out. But I did uh, my friend Renee's podcast radio show called Worst Responders. And it was kind of, it was pretty fun. Because uh, we were just kind of like talking about like, I guess, you know, the Reddit th- uh, page, like, uh, am I the asshole? Yeah. Uh, we just kind of like talked about scenarios from that and just kind of gave our takes on some of those situations. And it was fun. It was actually quite enjoyable to do a podcast not about movies or music or something and i could just talk about dumb 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 stuff and not try to be you know intellectual about it just, <laughs> just be a goof uh, yeah just be a goof all right um, well, so yeah i think that's it. So, yeah check out that know. uh first so it's called uh worst responders on worst Monday. responders yeah. yeah and then yeah. cavernous I, missing transmissions go listen to dance with the devil on the cemetery sound soundcloud uh mm-hmm. get it to 250 and i will drop another track a fan favorite from from the last couple years that has been reworked and it sounds pretty goddamn sweet uh and of course i'm still working on the anxiety weekend album um and that will be uh you know also coming out later this year uh and uh and yeah things are good this was a great episode thanks for listening always remember initiate the protocol we'll be back next week with uh something different Yeah. All right. Well, peace out.